from the book of Job. Job said to the Lord, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Here's a question for you this morning. You ready? All right. (laughs) Have you ever Have you ever seen God? And you're probably thinking, that's a stupid question, Rodriguez. Uh, God is not physical. You can't see him. You can't touch him. You can't taste or smell him or see him even. Or actually, can you? I'm a big fan, if you don't know this already, a big fan of Penn State, which lost. That's not what I was going to talk about. (laughs) I'm actually a big fan of a 13th century Dominican monk, by the name of Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas was the classic, left-brained, prove-it-to-me kind of guy, smart as a whip, and he wanted an explanation for everything. Job wanted to know, Lord, why me? Aquinas wanted to know, Lord, why everything, right? He had a, a mind unlike any other person who's ever lived, and Aquinas had a keen mind and an intellect which is probably in the top 0001% of all humanity. He asked the question, why everything? And, and the reason I, I'm so drawn to Aquinas, I'm nowhere near approaching as intelligent as he was, but as a little kid, I was always a very curious person. I still kind of am. And I like to ask questions about stuff. I'm just curious. How do these things work? What makes things tick? And I would get myself into trouble because I was always monkeying with things and tweaking things and trying to figure out how things worked. And my mom used to say to me, be careful if you hear Chris say, hey, what's this? Because something bad was going to happen. Duck and cover. So Thomas was kind of like this. He had a keen mind, one of the greatest minds who ever lived. In fact, he was so smart. This is astounding to me. He was so smart that he would lecture on six different topics at the same time. And he would have a group of secretaries, the word is amenuensis, but a group of secretaries around him, and Thomas would lecture as these guys would write their notes down in the monastery, and he would go from topic one, two, three, four, five, six, and back again. All different topics, all different things, and not insignificant things either. The point is Aquinas was the kind of guy whose mind was so sharp and so clear, the dude was, as they would say in school today, the dude was wicked smart, okay? So on a total side note, this is ironic to me, Aquinas, young Tommy, went to uh, school at the University of Paris, and Thomas was wicked smart, but he was also a very large fellow, and apparently not very well spoken, which earned him the nickname from his classmates, if you can believe it, the dumb ox. So be careful, (laughs) total side note, be careful when you label people, because you never really know. The dumb ox might be a lot smarter than you are. Anyway, Thomas wrote several massive books. Two come to mind immediately, the Summa Theologica and the Summa Chandra Gentiles. He was a prolific writer, uber smart. The dude was just unstoppable until 1273. Thomas, listen, met God. St. Thomas had what you would call in technical terms a theophany. And it's an indescribable thing. 
Thomas never actually described what happened to him other than he saw God, a direct experience of God. And here's Thomas, the smartest guy, one of the top ten intellects ever, sees God. He puts down his stylus and he says, ready for this? All that I have written is straw. And he never wrote another word. And the point I want you to see here is that meeting God face-to-face changes absolutely everything. And we see the same exact dynamic this morning with Job. If you look at, we've been studying Job for the past four weeks, and Job actually, at the conclusion of the book of Job, chapter 42, verse 5, Job met God. It changed him. My two points this morning, Job met God, it undid him, and it fulfilled him. Job meets God, it undoes him, and it fulfills him. That's my two points. Job meets God, it undid him. What does that mean? Get to that in a second. And then Job meets God, and it fulfilled him. So, just a little backstory here. The book of Job is all about the question that every single person in this room has asked at some point in their lives, probably multiple times, and the question is, why me? And it's interesting, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot in the past couple of weeks, also in tandem with this book study from Tim Keller. You know, we always ask the question, Lord, why me? But we always ask that when things fall apart. <laughs> we never ask that when, we, when something good happens, do we? Boy, why me, Lord? Thank you. Few people actually do that. We typically ask, why me, when the bottom falls out? But here's the thing that Keller says, and I think is important to bear in mind, that the reason that we only ask, why me, when bad things happen and not good things, is because we expect God to make us happy, but God is actually trying to make us holy. And so Job famously complains, why me? And we saw last week, if you weren't here, it's on the website, you can watch it, that God's answer to Job is actually not a, not a, serious, a, a logical argument, but a relationship. Job sees God, and he sees him. And his response is what we read today, the conclusion of the book. And this is the verse we're going to talk about. Job sees God. Job has a conversation with God. Why me? God answers him, and Job says, listen to this. I had heard of you, Lord, by the hearing of my ear. But now, I see you. You know, until now, Job believed in God, kind of as more of a concept than anything else. But I would say, I'd submit to you, Job did believe in God. Job trusted in God. I mean, for crying out loud, the guy suffers a lot, and he never maligns God. So God, Job does have a faith, in some sense, of God. In fact, Job, I said last week, he prays, winefully prays. But now, you see, Job sees him, and it changes everything. And this is not a, this is not a one-off. You see, this line, Isaiah happens, Ezekiel happens. In, Saint, in, in Luke chapter 5, we read a story about St. Peter. St. Peter, another one of my favorites. You know, they're all out fishing, right? And they've been out all night fishing, and they haven't caught a thing. You ever been out fishing and not caught anything? It's super frustrating, and it's exhausting, and it's kind of like watching Penn State lose in the ninth overtime yesterday. But... Peter says to Jesus, dude, we're wasting our time. Can we just, like, go have a beer and call it a day? And Jesus says, Peter, cool your jets. 
throw your net over the other, other side. Peter's like, dude, we've been at this all day. Peter, just shut up and do what I tell you to do, please. So, not quite like that. Peter, throw your net in for a catch. And he does. And they pull in so many fish that the boat begins to sink. And Peter looks up at Jesus and sees him for who he is for the first time, really. And Peter's reaction is this. He falls down at Jesus' feet, Luke chapter 5. And he says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In other words, when Peter meets God, it undoes him. When Job meets God, it undoes him. What do I mean by that? Well, to be undone, what does that mean? Well, look at Job's response. Look at Peter's response. They both claim, they both see God face to face for who he is, and they are it's a simultaneous thing, and it's kind of weird, but think about it. They both had this profound sense of unworthiness and a profound sense of joy. A profound sense of unworthiness. Depart from me, O Lord. I am a sinful man coupled with a profound sense of gratitude. You ever been undone? You ever been undone? A series of events happened to you, to someone that you love or yourself, a sudden illness or a tragic, unexpected death, or even maybe worse, the gradual sliding away of someone into mental illness or cancer or fill in the blank, whatever. The loss of a job, failing health, whatever, man. Fill in your blank. Have you ever been undone? And the point of that question, of course, is yes. That's at some point, thanks be to God, you and I will be undone. What that means is we are confronted with two things, our own mortality, our own inability to solve our own problems, along with a profound sense that God loves us. Let me submit to you this morning that Job is undone. <laughs> Peter is undone. St. Thomas Aquinas, undone. There is humongous, enormous blessing in being made undone. It's not pleasant. No one likes it. But being undone does cause a massive reset in your guts, in your core, in your heart, who you are. Tim Keller in this book that we've been studying, and if you haven't been to it, it's online. You can check that out too if you're interested. It's a great book. And he talks about this idea of suffering, being undone. And he says, you know, for some people, he says, being undone, suffering, being confronted with things in this life that you can't control, it does one of two things. It either pushes you away from God or it draws you in closer to him. It either pushes you away from God and it makes you bitter and angry. We all know people like that. I do. Or it draws you in closer to him. Maybe even sometimes it does a little bit of both. I don't know. But Job meets God, and it undoes him, but it also draws him in closer. It turns his world upside down, and it makes Job into a person, which we'll see in a minute, who's capable of things he couldn't have done before. And you're probably thinking, if you're like me, a bit of a skeptic in all this rigmarole, right? If you're like me, you're probably thinking, okay, fine, sure thing, Father. Good for Job. I'm so glad for that guy 
But you know what? Where's God when I need him? Well, let me first remind you of something which is completely and patently obvious if you stop and think about it. You will meet God in your lifetime. You will meet God in your lifetime. And just to be crystal clear what I'm saying, it's this. Someday you will be dead, and I will too. Or the Lord will come in the meanwhile. That's a possibility too. Every person will see God face to face. Every person will see, who has ever lived will see God exactly like Job and have the exact same words bounce in their mind. Lord, I heard about you in church. I heard about you through scripture. I read about you. I heard other people through the hearing of the ear how you changed lives. But now, my God, I see you. And you will have one of two reactions, consummate fear or consummate joy. Did you notice something when, when, Thomas, sorry, when Job saw God, his why me completely vanished? Gone. When St. Thomas Aquinas, the smartest dude who ever lived, one of them anyway, when he saw God, his entire life's work, his whole reason for being vanished in an instant in importance, and you know what? He didn't care. Know why? Because when you see God, your life will come into such incredible focus that the questions and the worries and the struggles and things that you sweat about in this life, they're no longer going to matter to you. Hear that again. When you see God as a Christian, when you see God, the things that you worry about in this life, your struggles, your suffering, the wrongs committed to you, when you see God, you're not going to care, man. It will all come into incredible focus. I remember once, give you a sort of a trite story, but it's real. Um, when I was in Red Bank, New Jersey, there was a woman there, her name was Joan, who had a dog that she loved. She was widowed, and, her, and this dog was like the focus of her whole life. Maybe a little too much, but anyway, it's okay. The dog died, because dogs die. And, uh, and she said to me, Father Rodriguez, do you think I'll see my dog in heaven? And I said, well, I don't know, Joan, specifically, I, but I do know two things are true. And she said, okay. And I wasn't being dodgy. I just don't know. I don't know. How could I know? I said, I do know two things biblically. I said, biblically, there, is, there are animals in heaven, right? So they're there, whether they come from here or God, I don't, I don't know where they come from, but they come from somewhere. But I said, secondly, you know what, Joan, when you get there, you're not going to care. All the things you worry about now, friends, that you worry about and that I worry about, think about this. This will change, this will undo you and change the way you see the world. When you see God face to face, and it may be today, and it may be tomorrow, and maybe 20 years from now, I don't know, but it's coming. When you see him face to face, the things you worry about now, man, they are no longer going to matter. Take heart in that. See hope in that. St. Paul says this very thing in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. He says this. You've heard it before. I'll say it again. Paul says, for now, in this, right now, we see through a glass darkly. But then, when we're with him face to face, now I know in part, Paul says, but then I shall know him God, even as I am known. 
That's astounding. Paul writes that before he's put to death. So friends, be encouraged in Job's story. Be, I want to say this, full of hope. I don't want to say hopeful because it sounds cheesy. I want to say full of hope. Keep your eyes focused on the big picture. The things of this world, yeah, they stink sometimes. Sometimes they're really good, but they don't really matter. The wars of this world will pale in comparison to what is to come because you, like Job, will be undone, and you will see God face to face. That's my first point. And the second one dovetails on there, that God meets Job, he's undone, but he's also fulfilled. This is cool. Watch this. If you look back and look at Job in verse, I think it's seven. By the way, Marilyn, good on you for reading all those names, because you, I would have blown it, but you did it. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> did you notice that Job, something about Job, so he meets God, he's undone and redone. His whole matrix is rewired. His whole life is turned upside down. Job sees the big picture, the, but the injustices of the world, his suffering no longer matters. How do I know? I'll prove it. Immediately after he sees God in verse 7, it says here, the Lord um, is angered at Job's friends. If you know that you've been following along, Job's friends are constantly trying to convince Job that he's a dirty dog, that the reason he's suffering is because of something he's done. Job, what have you done to deserve this? Job's like, man, I didn't do anything. You must have, Job. You know, Job says, why me? And Job's friends say, why him? Right? You know people like that. Whenever you, something happens to you, they want to blame you. They want to malign you. And God is furious. Look at it, verse 7. God is angered at those who blamed Job. What have you done? They've accused an innocent man. And then God listened to this. This is super cool. God tells them what to do. I'm going to read you verses 8 and 9. You with me? Now, therefore, God says, because you have done this to Job... Now, therefore, you guys, these friends of Job's, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job, listen to this, shall pray for you, his enemies, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your failures, for you have not spoken what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar went and did what the Lord told told them. They offered these animals before Job. Listen to this. And Job, sorry, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Let me say that to you again. These guys that have been railing against Job and causing him all kinds of suffering and misery, God says, go before Job and ask him to pray for you, and Job does it. Here's Job, the innocent victim, the guy who's been maligned and treated like trash for 42 chapters. Poor dude, man. Cut him a break. But now Job becomes the advocate. Job, the man who suffered blame and reproach innocently, is now brought to the place because he's been undone and redone to pray for those who persecuted him. Why would he do that? Because Job knows that it's God's job to do the judging, not Job's. That God is the one who will set the worlds to rights, and that Job's vocation, Job's job, 
That sounds funny. Job's vocation was to be a vehicle of God's grace, to be a person who brings his friends to a saving knowledge and to bring his friends to repentance. Job became an advocate for those who caused him to suffer because Job saw the big picture, because Job saw that God is the one who sets the world to rights. If that sounds kind of familiar to you, I hope it does, because you do see a typology here with Job. I hope you see it. If you don't, you're going to, because I'm going to tell you. We see in Jesus Christ the consummate innocent man, falsely accused, maligned, and abused. He suffered not only physically like Job did, but Jesus Christ took the entire guilt of the sins of the world, mine and yours, and everyone between in all of human history takes the, the guilt and punishment of sin upon his own sinless body. And yet from the cross, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Friends, the world Jesus says, friends, in this world, Jesus says this, friends, in this world, you will have suffering. You will. Like, buckle in, right? You're going to have it. But fear not, he says, for I have overcome the world. Let's be reminded this morning that Jesus Christ is our advocate, that he goes to the cross for us. And maybe more importantly, that we, because of Christ dying in our place, we will meet God in our own lifetime, even as we meet him now in the preaching of the word, in the receiving of his body and blood at the altar. But someday, remember this. Remember this. Keep this front and center. Put it on your refrigerator. Someday you will meet God face to face. And all the worries and struggles of this world will fade away. They will crumble away as you look into his face and thank the Lord who died for you to justify that you could stand before God and live joyfully. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Job, who shows us how to suffer well, to suffer knowing that even in the midst of all of life's troubles, there is purpose and meaning behind it. Let the suffering in our lives cause us to be undone, to show us to refocus on our lives, on the things that matter, on you. Remind us, Lord, of the big picture, that the things of this world are in fact fading away, but we can stand justified knowing that we will see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.